Welcome back to Holiness Talks. The last episode we pretty much spent time looking at the various definitions of the word sanctification and looked at its relationship to the word holiness. And basically we said that sanctification is the process of making holy and holiness is the result. Today we want to move the conversation further and talk about holiness specifically as it relates to God. As the Old Testament scholar Hilary Lipkart rightly puts it, holiness in the Hebrew Bible is intrinsically connected to God. God is the Holy One par excellence with the exclusive power to confer holiness upon others. In other words, when we want to study holiness, it is important to know that God is the very foundation. A study on holiness, therefore, must begin, must start with the holiness of God. And I love this. Lipka goes on to say, Not only is God the source of holiness, but human bodies require holiness in order to be in proximity to the deity. A few things have been said in that quotation by Hilary Lipka. Number one is the fact that God is the source of holiness. So in the next weeks, in the next few weeks and months, as we continue to explore these all-important subjects, let's have it at the back of our mind that we're talking about holiness, the source of which is God himself. In other words, we're not talking about holiness by struggling or holiness by trying, but we're studying about holiness or we're talking about holiness that derives from God himself. Remember that what God commands is spirit and evils. And listen to this. What love demands, love also supplies. God is love. He demands that we love him. He demands that we be holy. And he supplies the strength. He supplies this grace. He supplies the wisdom. He supplies the resources. He gives us all the means. But as we start, we need to first of all ask ourselves, what, it mean, what does it mean when we say that God is a holy God? What exactly does it mean? You see, we just have to go back to the Old Testament, particularly the first five books of the Old Testament, which scholars always refer to as the Pentateuch. And you'll see some things that God says about himself. God refers to his own name and himself as holy. In addition to that, we have various incidents that show a clear violation of his holiness, either by individuals or a group. You see, the affirmation that God is holy is a very basic declaration regarding the most essential being of God. That's what we're told by the Old Testament scholar Eichrott. The question then is, how do we express that declaration? And I must admit, there is no easy answer because no selection of the Pentateuch offers any comment regarding the meaning of God is holy. Rather, what we see in those books is a demonstration of God's holy nature. So how do we know that God is holy? We see what he does. We see how he acts. 
What do we mean by God is holy? You see, simply said, the holy God is known by how he acts and what he expects of his people. Of course, by extension, if the holy God is known by how he acts, definitely a holy people will be defined and will be known by how they act. You see, you talk about being and doing. God does what he does because of who he is. He acts the way he acts because of his nature. So we talk about being and doing. Being precedes doing. Unfortunately, we seem to get that all the way around today. We look at doing and we predicate our being on our doing. But to do that is to get it wrong. We do what we do because of who we are. Think about this one. Why does one lie? Why does one cheat? Cheating doesn't make one a cheater. A cheater cheats because he's a cheater. Lying doesn't necessarily make one a liar. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. Somebody lies because he's a liar. Because there's something fundamental, something fundamentally wrong in that person. You see, when we talk about God is a holy God, the holy God is known by how he acts and what he expects of his people. That word is somehow imprecise, particularly when it comes to purity. You see, what is the relation of holiness to purity? We'll be hearing from various people in the next few weeks. We'll be hearing from an Old Testament scholar who's going to share with us about holiness in the Old Testament and throw some light on the scripture for us. What does it mean? What is the relationship to purity? Because of the imprecise nature of that language, many scholars have restricted the meaning to otherness. That is, when you talk about God is holy, we're just talking about God being the other. God being the other, set apart from others. Well, unfortunately, they reached the conclusion that there is no moral or ethical nuance when we talk about God being holy. However, that can't be true, that can be so. As recent studies have shown, holiness when applied to God has always had an ethical notion. It is very important. I mean, the holiness scholar Harrington says the incorporation, Robin also says the incorporation of the ethical notion into the concept of holiness did not result from the prophetic transformation of the idea of God, but more likely from the prophetic rejuvenation of the idea of the proper response to the holiness of God. God is a holy God. And all over the Old Testament, God talks about himself as being holy. I mean, if you look at Leviticus chapter 19, in Leviticus chapter 19, a very crucial chapter on holiness. God himself says, Leviticus chapter 19 in verse 2. God commands the children of Israel and he tells them, and he says in verse 2, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
So the reason why we talk about holiness is that God is a holy God. God told his people, you are my people and I want you to be like I am. I want you to manifest my nature. I want you to display my beauty. I want you to display my righteousness in, in your life. I know we've said so much now because we mentioned beauty. I mean, we've mentioned righteousness. And these words need to be defined on their own in terms of what, how they relate to holiness. And at some point, we will do that. But all we're looking at the moment is the fact that the holiness of God is the foundation of the holiness of God's people. Now, here's the question. Is it too much for God to expect his creation to be like he is? I mean, remember, humans are the crown of God's creation. Adam and Eve were the crown of God's creation. And is it too much then for God, the creator, to expect his creation to be like him? Absolutely not. I'm sure you understand that it is not too much. God himself, in his mercy, God himself says, I am your God. I want you to be holy. The holiness of God is closely linked with the demand for justice when you look at the scriptures. You see, when we restrict the meaning of holiness to otherness, well, we should change all that it means. Yes, we understand. God is the only true God. He's separate, is different, and of course, and distinct, as Snaith writes in his commentary on Leviticus and Numbers. But then, when we look at Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 to 5, or 20, 22 to 26, we know that God commands Israel that they be separate, different, and distinct people. Now, what God commanded Israel still remains the same for us today. But we only understand that when we say God is holy, in fact, holy with reference to God is absolute. You see, our own holiness today as believers is derived. The holiness of believers today is derived. But the holiness of God is absolute, is intrinsic to him. That is his nature. Holy with reference to God is absolute. That is to say, when you modify the word God with holy, it is not relative to anything or to any person. When God says, I am holy, he says it without any elaboration. He doesn't even tell us exactly what it means. No, not at all. It simply says, I am holy, without any explanation, without any elaboration, without any addition, I mean, not at all, additional statement. He affirms. He simply asserts his holiness. Listen, God's holiness is undefined, is not categorized, is completely and wholly lacking in circumscription. You see, God's holiness is just unique to him. He is holy. Listen, holiness is not one divine quality among others. 
as the scholar Jacob rightly says, is not even the chiefest because it expresses what is characteristic of God and corresponds precisely to his deity. When we move away from the Pentateuch, for instance, and we go to the writings of the prophets, holy with reference to God, still resists any explicit definition other than just to say holy is God or holy is deity. God told the children of Israel, I am going to show myself holy among those who are near me. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 51, and in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, and chapter 27, verse 14, where God condemns the failure of Moses to revere him as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. Remember the story of two young men who decided to take things into their own hands and worship God in their own way, and as they felt that Moses was not doing things right. Well, those two young men were Nadab and Abihu, and we were told that they offered unholy fire unto the Lord. What does that mean? They offered a fire to the Lord contrary to the instructions of the Lord. Now, if we quickly say, if we quickly just note that holiness involves obedience, obedience to the will of God, doing things God's way. You see, God's work must always be done in God's way. They offered on holy fire, contrary to the instructions of the Lord, that was an action with disastrous consequence. You see, it precipitated their untimely death by fire. Moses quoted God, who said, I will show myself holy. You see, the context here in Leviticus 18 verses 4 to 30 suggests that the issue is the question of explicit obedience. Listen, whatever God commands his servants to do, ask no exception. When God commands us to do something, it admits of no exception. If we pay attention to what God says, in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 6, and verses 9 to 11, God's concern is not only for Aaron and the remaining priests to be faithful to his ordinances, but likewise for people to hear and obey what God commands in his entirety. Here is the point. When we fail to obey God, we must be prepared to bear the consequences of our disobedience. When we fail to obey God, so holiness is tied to obedience. Think about this. When you love someone, you don't want to offend that person. The same thing, when we love God, we understand that we want to obey Him. God's holiness is defined by what He does, by His justice, by His mercy, by His love. You see, God promised to take care of Israel. He manifested His holiness in 
separate in different ways. Listen, when you read the story of God providing water for the children of Israel in spite of the instruction that Moses flouted, what does that show you? Holiness is reflected, God's holiness is reflected in his goodness. So when we talk about the holiness of God, God's holiness is reflected in his goodness. And that goodness is shown in his providing for the needs of his people. I love the way Harrington puts it. She says, and I quote, Holiness without active goodness or righteousness is not holiness. End of quote. Holiness without active goodness or righteousness is not holiness. So you see one aspect of holiness, the goodness of God. God's holiness shown in his goodness. Second, God punished Israel, sorry, God punished Moses for his disobedience. God told him to speak to the rock, he smote the rock. By these two acts, the narrative states in Numbers chapter 20, that's the where the story is. God showed himself holy among them. You see, the demonstration of God's ability and willingness both to provide for Israel's needs as well as his refusal to allow disobedience to go unchastised constituted God's showing himself holy. In other words, you can see two aspects of the holiness of God right there. The nature of God's holiness. Number one, active goodness. Number two, ensuring justice. Holiness and justice go hand in hand. In Leviticus chapter 22, God warns against some acts that might profane his holy name. God honors his name and he calls himself Yahweh, special name reserved only for himself, to be used for him. He says, my holy name, this is more than a title. This is more than a title. Here God is simply saying, you shall not profane me, the one who is holy. Now, you understand that in the Old Testament thought, in Old Testament thought, one's name is the same as the person named. We have that in several cultures today. And there is a proverb back in Africa that says, you look at the house before you name a child. So names are meaningful. Names have important significations. In Old Testament, in Old Testament thought, one's name is the same as the person named. In other words, it implies the character of the one so named. Consequently, God is designating not just his name, but also his own self as holy. I mean, God says it over and over. The, it's clear 
in various assertions that we find in Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44. So what we see is God declares himself an only an expression of his most absolute being. When you talk about the holiness of God, we talk about the love of God. We talk about the love of God. God's love, God's mercy, God's goodness, God's active goodness. When we look at other places in the scripture, particularly when you look at Joshua chapter 24 verse 19, you see God is called a holy God, is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. It's interesting that Joshua uses holy and jealous with reference to God. These are two fundamental aspects of God's nature. I know some people have difficulty with the idea of God being jealous because we understand what jealousy means in our own life, but that's not exactly the same notion of God being jealous. I mean, that's when you talk about the jealousy of God, you talk about his love for his own people. He wants to lavish his love for his own people. He wants to have his own people to himself exclusively. Whereas holy is described as the absolute being of God, here the two terms holy and jealous convey God's demand for a people who are separated unto him exclusively, separated from foreign gods and who loyally and submissive to him and his nature as God. And he brings divine punishment and non-forgiveness upon sinful Israel. God is a holy God. When you talk about the holiness of God, remember it is who God is. God is separate, is like no other. But we say that the holiness of God is beyond just the otherness of God. It describes his essential being. The implication of this is very clear, which is if God is holy, the people of God who are called by God's name should be like God who has called them. That's precisely what God demanded of Israel. He redeemed them, he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And he says, I want you to be a separate people unto me. In other words, God wants to be known when the people see Israel, they want to see the justice of God, the mercy of God. The implication is also clear for us today. As people who are called by God's name, God's people, believers, who have been redeemed and washed by the blood of the Lamb, can we do less than to be like our Heavenly Father? Remember, he says in Matthew, be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I mean, we'll be talking about that. I mean, I've just thrown it again, another word, which is perfection. So there's quite a lot to explore in these talks in the 
in the coming weeks and months. But I do hope that we've enjoyed that episode today. Bear in mind, holiness begins with God. Secondly, God is the source of our holiness. Holiness begins with God. God is the source of our holiness. Thirdly, the holiness of God is not limited to his otherness. It includes ethical holiness, moral holiness. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says, You are too pure, your eyes are too pure to look upon sin. God is a holy God. So, behind mind, God is a holy God. We serve a holy God. Number two is the source of our holiness. Number three, the holiness of God is not limited just to its otherness. It includes ethical dimensions. Number four, in form of a question that I asked earlier on, should we expect God? Or do we think that God should expect less from us? And don't forget, when God demands a thing, he provides the means and the resources. The children of Israel were in the land of Egypt and they were tortured and oppressed. And Pharaoh said, you had too much on your hands. That's why you want to go worship God. And he doubled more than doubled the work they have to do. Increased the demands for production. But you know what he did? He did not give them enough straws. And yet he wanted to produce the same thing. God is not Pharaoh. God is not a taskmaster. Not at all. If he demands a thing from us, he provides for it. So we can trust him. Well, thank you again for being with us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have any questions, please send your email to us at holinesstalks at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. We look forward sharing with you the next time around and we say God bless and keep you God face make his face to shine upon you and give you peace blessings upon you <music>